I, I'll tell you what, man, I, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm really blessed. Um, I'm really blessed to, to pastor this upstart church. Um, I thought about that last night I was, as, I was watching, as I was watching this worship team, and you should have seen it last night. I mean, <laughs> there was just a lot of humanity up here. It was, just, it, was, it was just side to side human flesh up here. I, I don't know. How many people did you have on the worship team? Nine people. So you can imagine nine people crammed in here incredibly, incredibly talented musicians that were here last night. I mean, ridiculously talented musicians, anointed people. Um, but it was just awesome to watch. It was awesome to watch this team use the gifts that God had given them. I was watching Mike and Exa Burnett last night, and I just thought, man, you know, it's just, I, I just enjoy watching you guys worship. I was watching Eric, Eric Moore from the back. He's like, don't watch me. I was, I was, I was just watching. I love watching you worship, man. You just bless me to watch you worship. Just your little, you got that little like hop in your step and you just, I just love it. I just, I love seeing that stuff. I'm, I hope you're okay with that. He's like, man, I can't do that now. Pastor's watching me. I gotta, it's like, I gotta get my dancing together. But no, I just love that. I, I do. I love watching you guys grow and develop in your, your walk with the Lord. I love watching you use your talents and gifts. And I, I'm going to just say it over and over and over again. If, if you want a church that is not impactful, rely on the pastor all the time. If you want a church that can really, really do something incredible in a community, let's all be in this together. Can I get an amen on that? All right, so we're going to talk about that, but this morning I want to talk about this kind, of, this, this kind of culture that we're trying to create and what I believe is biblical culture. We want a biblical culture in our church, and, and we, we've talked about different things with the atmosphere and what we believe is a church. Now we're talking about the culture of the church, and I just want to dive right into uh, what I want our church to be when it, in, in regards to this. I really, really genuinely want our church to be good at being a forgiving church. Everybody say forgiving. forgiving. Now, we cannot be a forgiving church if we're not good at forgiving at home. We cannot be a, 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 a forgiving church if we are grudge holders and and. Uh, people that remember things for for long periods of time, you know, maybe maybe you, you you're the type of person that says I forgive you, but I'm going to put that in my back pocket for the next argument so that I can bring that up again. Uh, I, I, I've I, I love that that God tells us that He He casts our our sins, or he, he so far has He removed us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. He talks about He removes our sins from us. He forgives us in such a way that He forgets. Now. We are equipped a little bit differently. We forgive people all the time, but we are not we are not equipped with this brain erase that God seems to have toward us when we fail. And I'm thankful that God has that kind of brain erase when I when I fail him that he he does not look at my sin today and go, "You know what? That's mounting and stacking from yesterday and the day before and the day before day before." And and he looks at this collection of sin, he looks at it as one sin at a time. If I go to him and he forgives me, he literally removes that sin from me and then the next time I have to speak with him it's a whole new day it's a whole new prayer it's a whole new issue I love that about God I love that he is equipped to be able to just say you know what I forgive you and I'm going to forget I'm going to let I'm going to truly let it go Uh, and (laughs) I'm reminded of the song by Frozen but he truly he truly he truly does let it go he lets it go and 
and that's wonderful. We're not, that, that's why we're praying to be like him all the time because we do try to forgive people, but the forgetting part and the letting go part of it is the biggest problem that we have. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll argue with a spouse or something like that, and we'll, we'll have gotten over an issue, and we'll have gotten through the anger and the resentment toward one another, and then we'll get into a new argument, and we'll dig up something that we said we already forgave them for, something we already apologized for, and we will bring that back to the surface. We'll resurrect that dead thing and let it have new life again because we're human and we make mistakes. And it never goes well when we say we forgave somebody and then we bring up something that we forgave them for. Has anybody ever had a time in their life where you were in the middle of an argument and you brought up an old argument that was old news and you had forgiven somebody and it just solved the problem? It just, the argument just stopped. Like, you know what? Yeah, that's, Mike, I've seen your marriage tips on Facebook. We need to talk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> follow Mike on Facebook. Don't follow him. You can watch what he posts, but don't follow his advice on marriage tips. They're meant to be funny. I just, they're meant to be funny. I hope. I hope they're meant to be funny. <laughs> if they're meant to be serious, don't follow him. It never, it never works when you bring up old wounds. And, and I want to I talk to you about forgiveness, but I also want to talk about anger because I've been in, in I've been around people who have just a general angry disposition. And let me read this scripture to you because we're going to come back to it and walk through it uh, over the course of the next several minutes. I just want to get you started on where we're going to be. And it's a parable that Jesus tells, and it's not going to really tie together until the end. So just track with me. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 27, we're going to read part of it. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, uh, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children all, uh, all, that, uh, all that he had be sold to, to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him, and he said, Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay everything back. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, I'm setting this up because in this parable, what it looks like is there's a debt, there is a debtor, and there is, there's somebody that, that owes the debt and somebody that needs to receive the repayment for the debt. And the person that needs the repayment for the debt goes to the person who owes it, asks for everything he has, he's unable to pay. Some of us understand what that feels like. He's unable to pay the debt that he has created, and so the master of that servant immediately looks to get angry and says, listen, you're, I'm going to take your wife and your children from you. I'm going to take everything that you, that you have, and you're going to repay this debt. And until you repay this debt, they belong to me. And this person literally begs this master to be patient and have pity, and the master does. He has patience, and he's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty understanding. And in the end, he ends up forgiving him of his debt. So I want you to just kind of put that in your crawl, and I want you to hold on to that for just a moment because it's a, it's, it's a, it's a really good parable, okay? But, but I want to talk about anger because we're going to get to that side of this parable in just a second. I've met people in ministry who have literally told me, and I talk, I talk about anger a couple of times a year because it's something that a lot of people care, carry around. I've met people who say, I'm just an angry person. Ha, ha, have you ever met anybody that said, I'm just an angry person? 
right? Or somebody that says, I just have a hot temper. Have you ever met anybody that says, I just have a hot temper? They're explosive. They get upset. And I've even met people that say, that's just the way that I respond. I blow up. It's a big boom. And yeah, there's collateral damage. But once I blow up, it's over and things are okay. Some of us in here struggle with anger. And anger is something that really all of us have. Do you know it's not a sin to be angry? It's actually... It's actually a sin to sin while you're angry. But anger can be a, a healthy response to a given situation. Uh, I, I've seen things happen to people throughout the, the years that are really heinous or bad, and it makes me angry. I've seen people do things to children. It makes me angry. I've seen people do things to their spouse. It makes me angry. I've seen my spouse do things to me, and it made me angry. I, she's not here. I can safely say these things from a distance. I, I, I've seen, I've seen, it's not, it's, anger is not the problem, okay? It's what you do when you are angry that's the problem. It's not the fact that you tell somebody that you're angry. It's the other things that you say when you're angry. It's the stuff that you can't get back. It's the stuff that you can't unsay. It's the thoughts that you can't unthink that came out of your mouth. And some people don't have good filters when they're angry. They don't have the ability to think it and not say it. You ever met anybody like that? I've met people that they can't stop it from here to here. They just can't. If it goes through their head, it comes out their mouth. And you just sit there and you go, for real? For real? You thought that was going to add value to the conversation. You thought that was going to help. It does not. Uh, if they think it, they say it. And listen, anger is a natural response. Some of you, anger comes out in different situations. Some of you, I've ridden in the car with you. I've seen it. I know what it looks like. You have anger issues in the car. I've met pastors that have anger issues in the pulpit. I've been angry in the pulpit before. Doug Schardiger's seen me be angry. He's been around my ministry long enough. He's like, ooh, that was a little angry. I think you might have beat the sheep there a little bit. I'm like, they needed whipped. And he's like, yeah, probably not. Probably not to that degree. Uh, you know, I took my boat off. I was lashing out at people. It just was a weird day. But no, we, did, we didn't do that. But I have. I, there are times where you get disappointed as a pastor. I even posted something last night about it's time to get back into church. Like, I, I, I get upset when people say, well, you know, I'm just watching online right now. And I just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I kind of like it. It's convenient. I'm like, ah, yeah, I'm glad it's convenient to follow Jesus. It was convenient for him to go to the cross. It was really convenient for him to die for our sins. I don't think, I don't think God's plan A being the church means that we watch online forever. Amen. This is a good place if you're, if you're sick and you're not well and you're not able to make it into the house, we'll come to your house, okay? That's what online is for. If you're on vacation and you want to watch online... That's what we're here for. If you didn't catch a sermon, that's what it's here for. But to only interact with the church through an online platform, we can't lay hands on you through a computer. We cannot visit you when you're sick through a computer. We can't corporately feel the presence of God in a worship service through a computer. And, and for the love of God, get out of your pajamas. You know, you don't have to do that at home. Here, you need to do that. But no, you can wear your pajamas here. I don't care. Listen. I've been angry before. I've met angry people. I have, I have struggled at times with anger over different things. And the Lord has worked with me on some of these things. Some things just aren't worth getting angry over. And some things aren't worth being that upset over. And some things just aren't worth caring for that long. Amen. So where does anger 
actually come from? What is the, what is the source or the origin of anger? Because when, when somebody says, I'm an angry person, situations aren't the cause of their anger, right? They actually, if, they, if they're saying they have an angry disposition or they have a hot temper, their problem is not situations because we all face situations. We all face hardships. We all have moments that, would, that anger would be justified. But if people struggle with anger, it comes from a deeper rooted place and, and grudges come from a deeper rooted place and bitterness comes from a deeper rooted place because anger will turn into all those things. Anger will turn into grudges. It'll turn into bitterness. Bitter root will produce bitter fruit every single time. And if you're going to live in bitterness, you're not going to have God bearing good fruit in your life. And listen, if you continue to walk in anger and not have forgiveness toward people, listen to me, anger is dangerous when it turns into a grudge and you can't forgive somebody because when you can't forgive your brother... His trespasses against you, this is what the word of God says, then God can't forgive your trespasses against him. Anger and unforgiveness ties the hands of God to work the plan of, listen to this, salvation in your life. Because you have to be forgiven, washed in the blood of the lamb to make it into the presence of the king. And if you have unforgiveness in your life, unforgiveness will result in a breakdown in the relationship between you and God. Listen to me and understand what I'm saying. When you have horizontal anger problems and horizontal unforgiveness problems, you will have vertical anger and forgiveness problems as well. Do not believe for two seconds that these relationships have no bearing on this relationship. Absolutely do. They are interconnected. They are tied together. You cannot hate God's child. You cannot hate God's people. You cannot hate his creation and think that you are continuing to walk hand in hand with him. Listen to me and understand this. If he gave up his life for every single person that ever lived, would live, or was living while he was on earth. You have to understand how valuable they are to him, and you carrying your grudge and bitterness is not okay with him. He expects his kids to be able to play together in this sandbox called life. Can I get an amen? I feel like, I feel like y'all are a little bit stoic on this one, like, uh-oh, pastor's getting real in here. Listen, they're not all going to be funny. Some of them are going to be serious. We'll get to some funny stuff here eventually if I feel like telling a joke, but I probably don't. I'm going to get serious in here today, all right? I want to deal with anger. Anger comes from a, a, a really strange place. Literally, when you get angry with somebody, it generally results in a debt and debtor position with somebody. And what do you mean by that, Pastor. When you get angry at somebody, it is generally because you feel like they owe you something. They wronged you in some You're like, Pastor, don't, that's weird. Don't, that's not what it really is. I'm just mad because they did this. Yes, you're mad because you wanted them to do something and they didn't do it the way that you wanted them to do it. You're mad because you wanted them to give you something and they didn't give you what you wanted them to give you. Even when you're mad in a car and you have anger in a car, it is still a debt and debtor relationship. They took your lane. They took your parking spot. 
lot. They took your, your safety on the road and they stole it from you and now they owe you. Or you're at least going to get even with them by speeding up and telling them they're number one, okay? Don't do that. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? You'll get it later. We have this debt and debtor relationship. We have, when we're angry with a, a divorced spouse, we'll get a debt and debtor relationship. They stole my youth. They, they stole my time. They wasted my, my marriage. They wasted my money. They, they owe me. You owe me. And because you owe me, there's a debt and debtor relationship that's created. And when you feel like somebody owes you something, but they're not willing to repay it, they're not willing to apologize, that is where bitterness comes from. That is where uh, grudges come from. And that is when that deep seed of anger takes hold in your life. And it becomes a very big problem to overcome because until you feel like the scales are back in your favor, you will always feel like somebody owes you for something that they did to you we'll get angry at a boss why do we get angry at a boss we get angry at a boss because we feel like there's a debt and debtor relationship don't you see the work that i'm putting into this place don't you see how hard and how 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 much i work and how loyal i am you should pay me more you should thank me more you should give me more time off and we have a debt and debtor relationship that's i could go on and on through instances that create anger in our life and it literally creates a debt and debtor relationship and in our worldview, when there is a debt and debtor relationship that's created literally the only thing that will satisfy debt is repayment for what we feel like we are owed here's the problem some of the people that have caused anger and hurt in your life, they're not around to repay you for what they've done to you anymore. And what happens when the person that hurt you the most is already gone? They're not in your life anymore. Maybe they've passed on. Maybe you had a childhood. Maybe you had a parent that hurt you in a way that, that maybe you've talked to people about or maybe nobody even knows. And they've created a lifelong trail of tears in your life. And they've created a lot of pain in your life, a lot of hurt in your life. And a lot of who you are now is because of what they did clear back here. And what they did clear back here scarred who you are clear up here. And you would like nothing more in your life than to have them say, I'm sorry, I messed up, I hurt you. But they're not around to do it. They're no longer with us. They're no longer on this earth. And for some people, that closure of repayment or at least an apology is never, ever going to come because it's not possible. How do you overcome that when that is the reality? Some of us in here are waiting for an apology from a spouse that's just never going to come. It's never going to come because maybe they don't have the relationship with Jesus that you have. Maybe they don't see things the way that you see them. Maybe they see the inequity the other way. You owe them. You made mistakes. And some of us in here, listen, I will, I will tell you, uh, usually when a marriage fails, it's a slow fade. And, and if we're honest, mistakes are made on both parts, generally. Generally, every single time, there's mistakes on both sides of the coin. And if we're willing to be honest, and because we're really good at assessing other people's flaws, 
fantastic at it. Like we have a bird's eye view of other people's lives and we're like, well, I can tell you what you're doing if you'd fix this, this, and this. And they're looking back at your life with a bird's eye view going, yeah, I can see your problems too because I have a bird's eye view of your life. And if you would fix this, this, and this, and there's never any synergy that comes together in the marriage because rather than investing and working on yourself, you're, you're, you're looking and picking the other person apart. And a divorce, a separation will happen, and oftentimes that apology will never come because that realization that both of you had a problem in the marriage never comes. I'm creating a scenario here. I'm creating a scenario here where there's a debt and debtor relationship, and sometimes those debts won't get satisfied. And so how do you let go of that root of anger? How do you move on in your life. A lot of us believe that our response to anger is payback. Everybody say payback. payback. And I don't mean it in the I'm paying you back. I mean it in the I'm paying you back. <laughs> See, it's all in phonetics. It's all in how you say it and what you emphasize. Many people believe that the response to anger is to pay somebody back. You, you do something to me, I do something to you. You do something bigger to me, I do something bigger to you. I've heard people say, I don't get even, I get ahead. And, and I've really heard that. But listen, some of us in here, that's our idea of I'm going to match. We have that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth mentality. And we'll even be like, it's in the Bible. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so they deserve, they've got what they've got coming to them. Some of us in here will be like, well, God's going to take care of them, and I'm just going to trust the Lord to enact his vengeance on them. I've met people that are so angry, they literally pray that way. David even prayed that way. David said, don't blot out their transgressions against them. Hold their guilt against them forever. Could you imagine praying that prayer? Did you know he said that in the book of Psalms? He says stuff like that all the time. David had, I'm pretty sure David was, was bipolar. Like, he, he, he absolutely loved the Lord but there were times that he really bordered on hating people uh, and, and, was, and he, was honest, he was honest enough to say it. He, he would get so mad at people, he'd be like, remember their iniquity forever. And here we are saying the Lord forgets our iniquity. David's going, I want you to remember their iniquity forever. Visit their transgressions against them, Lord. And he would say stuff like that. And some of us in here were like, you're like, I'm just being like David. I just want to be like, I, you know, pastor's always saying David's a good example. David killed Goliath. David danced before the Lord. David was a man after God's own heart. I'm just being like David. Don't ever forgive them of their transgressions. And some of us in here, that's our mentality toward people who, who anger us. Is I, I, don't, I don't want you. I don't want you to have the good things that God has coming for you. I want you to have that vengeance, that Romans chapter 12 experience with God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. I want you to meet him now, meet the maker now, and I want you to experience the vengeance and the wrath of God because you deserve it for what you've done. Sometimes that's our response to anger. Now, I would ask you just before we go on, kind of parenthetically, what, what do you believe God's response should be toward what you've done? Here's the question. Here's the question. Do we have anger issues? Because forgiveness, a lack of forgiveness, listen, an unforgiving heart, that's usually not the problem. An unforgiving heart is a symptom of an unresolved anger problem that you have. It really is. Their hand in hand. So if you have unforgiveness 
in your heart toward a situation or circumstance or a scenario that somebody's created in your life? What are you angry about? What are you holding on to? What are you not willing to let go of? Well, Pastor, you don't know how bad that person's hurt me. You don't know how, you don't know how bad that church has scarred me. I, I know people that just stay out of the house of God. That church just, the church that, I, there's people that are literally angry toward the entire body of Christ. And the mentality of the believer shouldn't be, you don't know how bad they've hurt me. It should be, you need to know how much he's healed me. And so many people take on the attitude of, well, you don't know how bad they've hurt me. I'm justified in feeling the way that I feel. Man, if I want to have the heart of God, I need to understand if I feel like I am justified in feeling the way I feel toward a brother and sister in Christ or towards somebody that's hurt me, then I need to believe and know that God would be justified in feeling the same way about me. But he doesn't. We're not called to be more like ourself every day. This church isn't called to be more like itself every day. It's called to be more like Jesus. And Jesus would have been justified in pulling himself down off of that cross, executing God's will some other way, and letting the vengeance and the wrath of God be poured out on the people who actually deserved the vengeance and the wrath that he was taking. He would have been justified in doing so, but that's not how he responded. We all know the end of the story. We all know how it goes, and we're all sitting here thankful for that in our life. But the growth of the believer is not that we're thankful, just thankful for it in our life. It's that we learn as a Christian to begin to extend that to other people and give them things that they don't deserve. See, what is our response to anger? Listen... Sometimes I, I think you need to ask people, and I haven't asked this for a while, and I need to ask this question because it's a really good question to ask people. But sometimes ask somebody what it's like to be on the other side of you. When you're talking to me, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Am I positive? Am I negative? Do I seem, ha- seem happy? Do I seem sad? Do I seem to have joy? Do I seem to, do I seem to have anger issues? Now, If they pause before they answer you, chances are they're afraid to tell you the truth. And if they're afraid to tell you the truth, in all likelihood, you might have an issue. Some of us in here feel so justified in our anger that we don't even define it as anger anymore. We just don't. We feel so justified in carrying the baggage of the hurt and the pain and it's, it's for good reason. And, and all of us would agree there are things people can do to you in here that if the words, I'm never going to forgive them for what they've done, were uttered, like as a human being, we would understand how you got there. But as a Christian, we would also know how damning that's going to be for you and how bad that's going to be for your soul and how bad that's going to be for your walk with the Lord and what a cancer that's going to be in your life. See, we would know, we would know that that person might deserve to be spoken to the way that you just spoke to them or spoke about them. But we would also know as a believer how awful that's going to be for you in the long run. You see, when we carry that anger and that baggage around for so long, oftentimes the person that ends up dying from the cancer is the person that's carrying the baggage, not the person that we're angry at. 
They don't even know we're still angry. They don't even know we're still around. They don't even think twice about us. And even that burns us up because we want them to think about us and feel our wrath and feel our pain. And they want us to, we want them to know how bad they've hurt us. The problem is, is that's just not reality. We know that's not true. We know they don't. They've moved on. See, anyone dealing with anger has a story to tell. They really do. Josh, I'm going to have you come up. <clears throat> Some people won't tell it. They bottle it up because inside they know it, it, it's, it's, because inside they know it's going to lose some of its potency. And your anger, it becomes a part of you. I often think about the man who needed healing and, and Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? We've talked about that here. And sometimes people will carry anger and the same question bears Bears asking, do you want to be made well? Do you actually want to get over this? Do you actually not want to be that hurt little kid anymore that, 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 had, that lived in that dangerous household? Do you not want to be that person from that broken marriage anymore? Do you not want to be that person that's angry at the church anymore? And some of us in here, if we were, if we were to be honest, that has become so entrenched and so ingrained in our, in our personality that we really have trouble letting go of the baggage. The baggage actually has grown to our shoulder and it's hard to rip it off. And we understand that you have a story to tell and it's going to be a part of your testimony. But listen, God is not a God that leaves you where he found you. He's not a God that leaves you carrying the same baggage. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He wants you to carry his yoke and lay down your baggage. But oftentimes we can't pick up the cross that God wants us to bear or the cross that God wants us to carry because we're too big, too busy toting around our old baggage that he already healed, that he already took care of, that he already wants you to let go of. We all have a story to tell. And people with anger, man, anytime the subject of forgiveness is brought up, there's, there's always just like three types of people in the audience. There's the first group that believes they ought to forgive but can't seem to muster the courage to do it. Like, I'm just, you know, I need, I know, I know I need to. I know I need to. I just can't bring myself to have that conversation yet. But I'm going to, Pastor, I'm going to. Okay, all right. There's a second group of people when they know they've carried anger for too long and they know they need to forgive. The second group feels like that would be letting the person who, who committed the offense off the hook. And that's not okay. They need to pay for what they've done. They need to know how bad they've hurt people. They need to be held accountable for what they've done so they don't do it to somebody else. The problem is, is you're so busy trying to get them to not do it to somebody else that you are allowing them to still do it to you. See, that is that's a hard place to live. It's a really hard place to live. It seems justified on this side of eternity, doesn't it? Our flesh justifies that, that one right there. Like, that's okay to, it's okay to live there. I'm talking about this in the culture of the church because, listen, we can't be a forgiving church until we're a forgiving individual, until we're a forgiving people. So much of what I talk about as a culture of the church is who I want us to collectively be, but who we collectively are is the sum of all of our individual parts. And if you carry anger around, this is going to be an angry church. 
if you carry unforgiveness around, this is going to be a church where it's going to be hard for you to make mistakes and recover from them. I don't want that for this church. I want to teach you how to fall forward. I want to teach you that, you know what? Every failure is not final. Every problem that you ever have is not the end of the story for you. That those failures are a part of the story. They're a part of the journey. And yeah, you're going to get some scars on your knees, but that just means that you fell and you healed up and you are better now than you were and you won't fall over the same stuff over and over and over. And that comes through, be, for, through being a forgiving church. I used to be that pastor. It was like, you know, when you become a Christian, you got to stop cussing, you got to stop drinking, you got to stop smoking, you got to stop sleeping around. You gotta, gotta, and I would want people to go from, from 20 years of living that way to after two months, I'm like, why don't you have this thing figured out? Some of you were around in my early ministry and it wasn't a lack of grace. It was a lack of understanding. I was so young, I didn't realize that change takes time. Some of it's instantaneous. There's things God did instantly in my life and then there's things that he made me put work into processes that he made me put work into and so now as i truly am some of you always some of you guys roll your eyes when i say i'm middle age i truly am middle age right 40 years old it's half of 80 that's middle age it's the definition of middle age now as a middle-aged man, I look at things differently. I, I, I do. I, I genuinely do. After 20 years of ministry, I go, man, I've watched this process play out in so many people's lives. And these people that I wanted to be here after two months, they did eventually get here. But some of us in here live right there. And we look at that. We, we look at that and we think, well... Offender, yeah, there's certain things that we just can't let people off the hook for. Listen, there's some of us that won't literally let people off the hook for a childhood where your dad didn't show up to your soccer games. It wasn't anything huge. It was just some absenteeism. Or for some of you, it was, it was a, 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 a spouse. Yeah, they, 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 they might have they cheated on you and they might have left, but you're still alive and you can recover from it. And there's a way... There's a way to forgive them. Some of us believe, man, when somebody fails me like that, they can't even, how can they be a brother and sister in Christ? Listen, because they make mistakes. And I'm sorry, sometimes the mistake involved you and it might have hurt you, but they still made a mistake. They still acted like a human. The third group of people is the people that claim they've gone through the motions of forgiveness, but those old feelings keep coming back and we've had we've all had that one happen I do believe where we really sincerely we've prayed about it we've fasted about it we've, we've told the person I forgive you and then something happens it's like ah and you have to keep stomping that down listen when we crucify our flesh we have to keep it crucified our flesh keeps trying to come back to right our, our flesh keeps trying to resurrect and so this one we have to keep pushing that down and go, no, I've forgiven them, devil. I'm not going to let you bring that up against them again because I'm not going to bring that. I'm not going to be that type of believer. I'm going to be the believer that tries to be like Jesus. So there's these three types of people, yet Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 tells us to get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, all brawling, all slander, along with every form of malice. We're commanded to get rid of anger. We're not even commanded to just deal with it. We're commanded to get rid of it get rid of in the Greek means to separate from or remove from completely. We're supposed to separate from anger, remove anger from us completely. And 
You know, sometimes, sometimes we just, we just don't. We, we carry it with us. And that's not what God has for us. How can you possibly get rid of anger when your anger is simply just a justify, is a justified response to stuff that you have no control over? I didn't have control over that. I'm angry about it, but I didn't, I didn't do it. I'm not the one that did it. So how am I supposed to get rid of it? I, didn't, I wasn't angry until this happened. I'm upset now because it happened. But it's their fault. They did it. How am I supposed I didn't control that. Listen, you don't get to control every circumstance in life. You get to control your response. That's all that we're allowed to control. We don't get to control everything that comes into our circle or our sphere or our life. We don't get to control how everybody treats us. We get to control our response. And God will judge us according to our response. Individually, on an individual level. So Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 tells us, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of of malice, but it goes on. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Listen to this. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. And see, here is the tale of the tape. We're coming back to that scripture we started with just a minute ago, and we're almost done. Listen, the only way to walk in true forgiveness, the only way, the only way to be that type of church and that type of individual is to constantly revisit your experience at the cross and to remember the way that sometimes you feel is justified toward people. To remember sometimes the anger that you have toward people and the desire not to forgive them, that desire not to forgive them. And it may be justified. You may feel like it's justified. You revisit the cross and you realize that Jesus would have had all of the same rights that you feel like you have right now. He would have had the same rights to say, you know what, that's their sin. So thus it is their problem. That is their failure. So thus it is their problem. I have a right to be angry with him. I gave them life and life more abundantly. I gave them air and water and food and companionship and this is what they've done with it they choose to hurt one another they choose to go to war they choose to lie and cheat and steal they choose to commit adultery they choose to put things into their body that make them high they choose to do all these things and i'm justified in feeling the way that i feel and that's not what jesus does at all we can think of our laundry list or grocery list. Who makes a laundry list? I don't know why I ever say that. I got to get that out of my vernacular. There's an entire grocery list of our life. And nobody knows it better than you and God, right? God knows it, but you do too. Things that highlight reels that you would want nobody else to see conversations that you had that you hope nobody else ever hears things that you wish you could unsay because there's those people are gone from your life god knows all of those things and justifiably could respond to you and say you know what your iniquity's on your own head you made a lot of mistakes all of us would be in the same boat rowing in the same boat the failure boat and see when we revisit the cross and we realize that he is justified in feeling that way toward us, but that's not his response toward us. See, that's what being a believer is. That's what being a follower of Jesus is. Follower of Jesus follows Jesus. How did Jesus respond to people who didn't deserve what he gave?
He loved them anyways. And he let it go. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. 10,000 bags of gold. That number is huge for a reason. He owed him 10,000 bags of gold. And he wasn't able to pay. So the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Literally would have owed everything that he had and had to sell his family into slavery. It was a debt and debtor relationship. But this, this servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the Bible says the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. That story is being told by Jesus to a crowd that understands this is God's relationship with us. We have a monster debt, 10,000 bags of gold. And at the multi-thousands of dollars of gold is an ounce, I don't know, $1,600, $1,800, I don't know what it is an ounce now. Can you imagine filling bags of gold? See, the idea is the idea is that your debt is one that can never be repaid. You've created, God, God, your life has created such a deficit with God. It's a debt that you can never repay. And really, everything that you are could be required of you. But you fell on your knees at the cross and you prayed for the master to have pity on you. And the master had pity on you. The Bible says he forgave your debt. That word forgave your debt in the Greek means he erased it. He erased it. It doesn't mean that he pushed it back. It doesn't mean he deferred payments. It doesn't mean that you still have to pay it back sometime later. It means that he erased your debt. You are square with the house. And not just for that sin, but for the sins that you committed prior to the cross, the sins you committed while you were at the cross and the sins you'll commit after you go to the cross. You're square with the house. But see, the story goes on and this is where we come into the story. That same servant who had just had their debt forgiven, he went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a few hundred, no, owed him a hundred silver coins. So the debt goes from bags of gold to a few hundred silver coins it goes from a much larger quantity and a far more precious metal to a much lesser quantity and a much less uh, valuable metal and he grabs him and he begins to choke him pay back what you owe me he demanded his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Utters the same words that he just uttered to the master. Now the servant's in the same position as the master was in. The place of power. He is owed a much smaller debt, a debt his servant could have come up with. And we would expect this man whose massive debt had just been forgiven, that he would extend that same grace to his servant. But that's not what happened. Instead, he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. Verse 31 and 32, when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Let me, let me, let me, let me rephrase this. Jesus is telling a parable. The master forgives the servant. The servant can't forgive the person that owes him. 
the other servants are watching this and run to the master and say, this is despicable. Listen, when we are in a position where God forgives us and then we can't forgive other people, people will watch our lack of forgiveness and they'll question our connection to the master. That's the parable. Verse 31, 32 says, they went to the master and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant and he said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had had on you? Jesus is telling the parable. Shouldn't you be living the way that I taught you to live? Shouldn't you be modeling the thing that I taught you to model? In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers until he should pay back all that he owed. Well, wait a second. He took back the debt? Listen to me. What did Jesus say? It bears itself out in this parable and it bears it out in the words of Jesus himself. If you cannot forgive your brother his trespasses against you, then God cannot forgive your trespasses against him. You can reestablish a position of debt with God. Read the, am I reading it wrong? You can reestablish a position of debt with God when you cannot forgive the debt that others owe you. You can reestablish an unforgiveness from God when you lack forgiveness toward others in your life. Jesus said it. If you can't forgive your brother his transgressions or his sins against you, then God cannot forgive your sins against him. I'm just quoting scripture right now. Very simple. Verse 34 was an extraordinary punishment. This was simply a matter of holding his servant to his end of the original arrangement. And his anger's master turned over to him to the jailers until he should pay back all he owed. He owed, he should have to pay. But the next line, listen to me, verse 35 is where the zinger comes in. Jesus says this, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. That's the zinger. That's the home run. That's the... That's the big hit right there. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. If the meaning of that parable was ever unclear at the beginning, it is clear by the end. The king in the parable represents God. The servant who had his debts forgiven represents everybody who's ever had their sin or debt canceled by God. And wouldn't you know it, the second servant is anybody we're holding something against because of something they've done to us. They've hurt us. They've embarrassed us. They've rejected us. These are the people who owe us. And Jesus' words can't be any clearer. Cancel their debt. Cancel their their debt. I'm going to have you stand to your feet. We're going to pray. We're going to go. How do you respond to a sermon like this? You don't respond here. See, this is, this is one of those culture sermons that gets real tough because the real response to this is that you know if you're carrying bitterness or anger or malice in your heart and the work starts when you go home. You got to pray this in your life and you got to say, God, I'm harboring I'm harboring hurt in my life. I'm harboring anger in my life. I'm har harboring, 
I'm harboring pain in my life. I'm harboring unforgiveness in my life. And God, I don't want to stand before you not able to be forgiven, not right with you. I want to stand knowing that my sins have been washed for me. My forgiveness has been sealed. I, I don't want to live like this. I want to cancel that debt. Listen to me. I understand this. When I left youth ministry in 2007, I was so hurt by a couple of people in my church that I wouldn't have given, I'm going to just say a really plain way to say it and you're going to judge me for it and then you're going to have to ask for forgiveness. So don't judge me because I'm going to just tell you how these people hurt me so bad I wouldn't have given them the Heimlich maneuver if they were choking. Pastor can't say that. I'm saying it, I'm saying it so that you understand how bad we were hurt. And it was a me problem. Yeah. Yeah, there was hurt. There were some things that they did that just weren't right. But I carried that baggage around for my first three or four years in my church plant. And it put an angry person in the pulpit. Now you're getting a healed person in the pulpit. I don't want to just have a healed person in the pulpit. I want to have healed parishioners in the seats. I want this for you. I want to pray for you today. (coughs) Father, thank you for telling us stories and parables. (laughs) You knew we were going to need these all these years later. You know you couldn't just come right out and say it. You knew you had to tell it in story form because we would get it better. Lord, I pray that I painted an accurate picture of your word today because it's not about me. God, this is one of those sermons. This is one of those sermons, Lord, that It might not be for every single person in the room, and that's okay, God. I'll preach to an audience of one. If there was one heart that came here that has carried this around for a very long time, you will meet us in a crowd like we are here all by ourselves. And God, I'm asking right now that this would be a transformational word for somebody. This is one of those applicable messages, one of those times where we can tangibly apply this to our life and quickly. There are people in this room under the sound of my voice. And Lord, I know there are people watching us on Facebook Live that absolutely are living in this place right here. They're living in the land of unforgiveness. They hate it. And they can't stand it. They can't stand the anger and the bitterness and the hurt that they're carrying in their life. Holy Spirit, I'm asking right now through the power of God that you would allow them to begin to chip away at that unforgiveness and that resentment and that bitterness and hurt that's in their life. I pray, Lord, that you would allow them to forgive people that they never, ever thought the word forgiveness and that name would go together in a sentence. That they would forgive people that they never thought that they would be able to let go of it. Lord, because they're carrying this baggage, it's hurting them. It's not hurting the other person. And Lord, at the end of the day, what we have to remember is we have done plenty in our own lives to warrant unforgiveness from you. And yet, you cancel our debt. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the emotional and spiritual and Christian deposit in our life that is large enough for us to cancel those debts that are in our life. Lord, we want to be people who allow mistakes and meet it with forgiveness and grace. Father, I pray that you would be with each person. As we end on this somber tone, I pray that we would just know that when we walk out those back doors, we are entering the missions field. 
there are some of us in here that we know the response to this altar call is a phone call. It's a letter. It's a prayer. It's a cup of coffee with somebody. Lord, we know that we're going to have to respond to this. And so, God, I pray that good things would come out of this. And I pray that this would be the DNA and the culture of Fusion Church. In the mighty, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next week.